Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability explicit or implied shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Well, a very good evening, and to those of you listening on Sunday morning, a very good morning. Your radio rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, back with you reminding you that the more that things change, the more we need to depend upon those things that never change. That's right. And uh, one of the things that never changes is that in order for society to function, and particularly in order for an economy to work, there has to be embedded deep into the culture, something captured deep within the heart and soul of everybody within that culture. There has to be something called trust. Got to be. And you, you, you just have to think about this for a moment. If I cannot trust you to stop when a streetlight turns red, then I can't drive anywhere, even in the craziness of New York City, as bizarre and as weird as it is. For indeed, my friends, I have just arrived not, not 20 minutes ago um, on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and uh, and coming here, even in the belly of the beast, when lights turn green, for the most part, I don't worry about a truck barreling through from the other side. I trust that overwhelmingly, the majority of people are going to stop on red, take away their trust factor, and what is already a nightmarish traffic scenario becomes utterly untenable, and the city can just shut down. Think about transactions. 
every single time there's a transaction, somebody looks at your credit card. Now, I know that there are times and places where that credit card gets copied by the waiter in a restaurant or by the clerk in the store and subsequently gets sold into uh, the criminal underworld and uh, your life becomes hell. It does happen, but it doesn't happen a lot. When I say a lot, think about it. We're a lot of people here. You want to know where it happens a lot? Mexico, everywhere in South America, large parts of Africa. But here, for the most part, most of us still give our credit card to Amazon or to a waiter in a restaurant, and we count on trust. Just think about it. Think about uh, whether or not your home has bars on every window. I bet, and I mean, between uh, JFK Airport in New York and the Upper West Side of Manhattan, which which took an hour and twenty minutes in a uh, in a vehicle in a car, we passed through some pretty sketchy neighborhoods. I want to tell you. There were places that had bars, but not everybody. And my bet is that the majority of you listening probably do not have bars on the windows of your house. That means that somebody could actually send a rock through it, break the glass out, and enter your home. But at some level, you trust because you don't put bars on you trust that the likelihood is not going to happen. And so it goes throughout society, in every part of society. People you, you meet, new friends, new business encounters. For the most part, you don't go through life on your guard saying that your presumption is that Everybody is out to get you. Everyone is dishonest. Everybody is a rogue, a scoundrel, and a crook. No, you don't. You don't start off saying everybody is in that category and it's up to them to prove to you that they're not. No, they don't. it's not how it is. You actually start off, for the most part, giving people the benefit of the doubt. Why? Because for over 200 years, for 300 years, the culture of America has been a culture of trust. Now, it has become powerfully eroded, powerfully eroded. And, uh, you know, from when, when is the erosion? Well, it's always difficult to, to put a precise date on uh, the trends that affect 300 million people. But I would say that, uh, and, and there are reasons I'm going to, to say this, but I would say in general that we're talking about uh, 50 years, the, the early 1960s. And uh, if you think about it, you probably know why I identify those, those dates. Uh, the fact that that was when the birth control pill became prevalent is not irrelevant to the conversation. But it's about 50 years. But here's the thing you got to know, and that is that societal trends tend 
to be logarithmic. They tend to pick up speed. They don't stay the same. So if you were to graph the, the whatever trend it is you're looking, in my case now, uh, the erosion of trust in American society, what you find is that it doesn't follow a straight line. You know, a little more erosion of trust every year, assuming we had a way of measuring this. But uh, in reality, what happens is that it picks up speed and then there could well be a period where it straightens out and uh, there is no further erosion. There might even be a slight increase, but then it picks up again and heads off in the wrong direction. And uh, we've now had a great deal of that situation and we've had a lot of erosion of trust. And you know how they, they say there's an expression that fish rots from the head first, right? Okay. Well, uh, it's rotting from the head. The erosion of trust in America is very bad. It's very bad. The, the only two institutions that people trust to some extent, small business and the military. That's it. But even the Supreme Court of the United States, and I was just looking at these figures yesterday, the Supreme Court of the United States, people have lost their trust and their faith in it. I have. I have. And, uh, and then, of course, today comes a ruling that validates this. Um, now, to, um, if you receive the email uh, this afternoon, I, I mentioned something about Greece and Europe. I said Europe doesn't trust Greece. And I said Americans also have started losing trust in the Supreme Court of the United States. Any connection? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, plenty. We'll talk about that for sure. No question. Um, to uh, to just go back for a, a few moments on, um, on chat room here, um, uh, some people have raised the question of keeping dogs or, or having weapons at home. Um, there's a very big difference between having a weapon and having a, a dog on the one hand or having bars on your windows. Having bars on your windows uh, imposes a, um, an unpleasant cost on you for your distrust of the people around your neighborhood. Um, every time you look out of a window, you've got to look out of bars. Uh, you have an un unhappy feeling of living, having to be living in a fortress uh, because you've got bars wherever you look. Bars impose an emotional and psychic cost. Dogs and guns don't. I mean, honestly, if, if owning a firearm imposes a, a psychic and emotional cost on you, then don't have it because you're not going to be able to use them. But I, I love my weapons. Love them. I, I, they're finely made pieces of machinery. Uh, it's almost like a fine mechanical watch, which I don't have. I'd love to get one. I'd love to have a fine because it's just nice to have something that human beings put a lot of work into to make perfect, to make it work. It's, you know, it's like um, uh, there are certain makes of, of automobile. When you operate a switch, it's just got a satisfying feel to it. When you close the door of the automobile, it's just got a nice clunk. It just feels well made. You hear the locks working and turning. 
finely made machinery is just a pleasure. It's just wonderful. And so uh, for me, owning a gun is, is a pleasure like owning a dog would be for pet lovers. No problem. Bars, a totally different story. Totally. Look, uh, I live behind bars uh, when I lived in Africa. It was just it was just the way it was, and it's still like that in South Africa. Um, everybody has bars, no matter what your color. <laughs> everybody has bars in their house; they just do. So, um, uh, but but today there are many 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 people who sometimes go to bed for forgetting to lock their front door. Really, there are people like that, and there are places like that. In fact, I will tell you this that the nicest parts of America are, generally speaking, those places where the rules and rituals and restraints of Christianity, and for that matter, Judaism, apply most effectively, where people practice. those. That's generally the nicest parts of the country. Uh, New York, Manhattan, uh, Queens, Brooklyn, no, no, for the most part places where secular fundamentalism has effectively extirpated uh, faith and obliterated religion, uh, replacing it with faith in government. Not the big G of God, the little G of government. And so, uh, so, so here we are. Here we are in a society where uh, there is erosion of trust. There have been, in the last 50 years, there have been better times, there's been worse times. But right now, do you trust the IRS? Do you trust the Veterans Administration? For heaven's sake, I like my mailman, but I don't trust the post office. Do you know how many videos are circulating on the internet verified of postal workers tossing the mail into a garbage or into a uh, a sewer? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A culvert, right? Hot day, nobody feels like carrying mail, and in it goes, throwing parcels into the bushes. I don't even trust the post office anymore. Don't trust the IRS. Veterans Administration? I don't think so. Amtrak? Hello? Do you remember the accident of of just a few weeks back? Um, Again, the feeling is that the people operating these governmental institutions are running them as private fiefdoms, and they're, they're, they're not trustworthy. How about the TSA? Trust the TSA? Of course not. 
So trust in government in general, in almost every interface that average citizens have with government, trust is way down. Trust of the law enforcement agencies, police, way down, way down. So is it the lowest it's been in the history of the country? I don't doubt that for a moment. I think across a broad front, lack of trust in the institutions of government in America are, is certainly at its lowest ever. Sh- certainly. And uh, even the Supreme Court of the United States. Look, um, the regular courts I haven't trusted for a long time. Prosecutors have too much discretion. Courts do not monitor it. And prosecutors exploit it. There have been so many cases of bad prosecutions, so many cases of prosecutions for political purposes. Who trusts these people? I don't. I don't know if you do, but probably not. So on the Supreme Court, do I trust um, Alito? I do. I trust Thomas. Um, I trust um, um, Scalia. I do. I don't trust anyone else because I think they're driven by politics. It is true. That's really what it looks like. Do I trust the uh, the Ninth Circuit Court, the one that runs California? I do not. And so here we are. Here we are with a massive failure of trust. What's going on? And how? what does this have to do with the Europeans, particularly the Germans, not trusting the Greeks? What's that about? Well, I want to explain all of that. I want to catch up on the chat room. I want to see what uh, you all are thinking. If you're listening uh, on through one mechanism or another, you can join in at w4cy.com. Just take your browser and go to w4cy.com, and uh, you should be have no trouble bringing up the chat room and the uh, on the page, and that way we can all participate together. Uh, Producer Rebel, give me a break if you don't mind, and um, we'll play some music, and uh, we will return in just a moment. Your radio rabbi, I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Thanks for being with me. I'll be right back with you in just a few minutes. Shut 
Thank you very much indeed, producer Rebel. I think there was general approval of that music, and uh, I, um, I I do use the chat room uh, to get a sense of of what um, you're all thinking. You know what uh, what you're what you're thinking about, what you're thinking um, of the topic, what you're thinking of uh, different angles of it. So. So please go ahead and use that uh, use that chat room, and uh, as you know, every now and then I will actually just pause for a few moments um, in the show to just catch up because there's a lot of good stuff there, but it it goes you know it goes racing it goes racing by <clears throat> um, pretty quickly as as people write and new posts uh, pop up there and uh, it's it's pretty good. Um, Interesting. Um, inter- oh, I see. <laughs> All right, Peter's just explaining himself. All right, look. Uh, if you're not, if you're just listening to me and and not 
uh, watching the chat room, then I, I have to be respectful of the fact that it's got to be somewhat annoying whenever I spend time um, commenting on what's happening in the chat room or, or reading what's going on there. But um, it really is – it's one of the uh, enormous benefits, isn't it, of, of this kind of uh, communication that we're doing. It's, it's, um, it's, it's just a very, very real benefit, something that's much harder to, to pull off with regular terrestrial radio. Um, I have to tell you folks that uh, I will have good podcast news very soon as well. We'll have good podcast news, and uh, and the best way to make sure that you access it is please make sure that you are receiving the thought tools every week. And the way you can know that is if you if you receive a notification on Thursday afternoon about what's going to be um, what we're going to be talking about, you're on the mailing list. If you receive a thought tools on Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, you're on the mailing list. If you receive a uh, a Susan's musings and an ask the rabbi question uh, on Wednesday night or Thursday morning, you're on the list. So. Generally speaking, we, we never do more than three mailings uh, in an entire week. And so uh, that's right. We just don't want to over, um, uh, over abuse people's inboxes. Anyways, uh, that is – that's where you can uh, – that, that's where I will post information on the, uh, the fact that everything's up on the podcasting. And it's really then accessible. You can download it and so on and so forth. All the good things that people like on um, on on the chat room. <clears throat> All righty. So why is the European Union's increasing distrust of Greece relevant to the conversation about the Supreme Court of the United States? What is the connection? And I wanted to tell you, if you read the, uh, the material coming out of Europe about the Greeks, there is an incredibly disturbing theme that keeps on sounding. Ordinarily, ordinarily when uh, a country goes broke, right, it is mortifying. It's embarrassing, right? It's it's like when an individual used to, right? In once upon a time, I mean, I'm not saying this is good, but I'm saying it's really understandable that during the the crash in 1929, people who were not able to pay their margin calls on the stock market threw themselves out of the windows of their buildings. There were a lot of people who took their own lives then. No, I'm not. I'm not recommending that. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I'm saying that it spoke of a period in America of honor and trust. It was a time in America when we thought more highly of obligations than we did of rights. And in the last fifty years, there's been an entire turnaround. People talk constantly about their rights. Nobody talks about their obligations. There was a time in America where if you were on the public dole, if you were depending 
for your daily sustenance and for your weekly rent on the welfare of your fellow citizens. You were on the welfare system, okay? There was an embarrassment to it, right? People... People re- Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Really, people went hungry before they finally and reluctantly agreed. And they'd said, listen, we would never do it. If, if it wasn't that our kids are going to sleep hungry at night, we wouldn't do it. And we're going to get off as quickly as we can. Today, multi-generational dysfunctionality. You've got families that are third-generation welfare. Nobody in the family's ever worked. We got that in America today. Not in small numbers, in big numbers. That's one of the reasons that we are being made broke by what are now called the entitlement programs. Why do we call it entitlement? Well, I don't. But it's for exactly the same reason that the language was changed to no longer speak of illegitimate children. I know child should be illegitimate. Right? Little kids don't know whether the society refers to them as illegitimate or not. But there was a reason for that. The reason, my friends, is that you and I and most human beings would die to help our children. Literally. Literally, if, if you could save your child from uh, some terrible agony, I mean, parents would do anything, anything at all. You know what? Even marrying the other person who helped conceive that child. That's what I'm getting at. See what I'm saying? When, when there was a, uh, a condemnation, of a child being born to a mother who isn't married, when that child is censured, not not physically or anything, I mean, the, the child's going to be uh, 15 or 16 before he even begins to understand that. But in the interim, if that child is termed illegitimate, who does that pain? Pains the mother, right? Because she knows that her child is being... Well, um, um, pointed at, pointed out. Very, very big difference. So what happens? What happens is that uh, single, mo- single mothers or women who are thinking, who desperately want a child, they're going to say to themselves, now, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that. 
I'm not going to just lie back and uh, let a guy enjoy himself and leave me with a child. Not going to do it because the child will suffer. I don't mind if I suffer, but the child will suffer. But once we took that term away, we completely removed the social sanction. And all of a sudden, a child born to an unmarried mother was just the same as a child born to a married mother. A family made up of a woman and six of her children, all conceived by six different men, just the same as a Roman Catholic widow with six children, all the children of her dear departed husband. Now, if you have any interest whatsoever in the preservation of society, if you've got any interest whatsoever in protecting society and making sure that the stability of society endures, then you've got to make a distinction between those two families. A woman who's never been married and has six kids from six different men is not and cannot be the same as a widow with six children, all the children of her departed husband. You can't treat those the same because the first one damages society dramatically. How? Well, the female children will go along and repeat the model. The male children will commit crimes. How can I say that? Well, because <laughs> it's not me. I'm just repeating official statistics. And you know that the government's already done everything they can to distort those statistics. But speak to anyone you trust in law enforcement, and I, I know many people I, I trust profoundly in law enforcement. Uh, I don't trust the, the police in general. I think they have become arrogant and aggressive. But, um, but I do have individual law enforcement specialists I trust, and, uh, and they will tell you that if there is one characteristic that unifies uh, criminals in America today, it's not skin color, it's not language, it's not anything except raised in the absence of a father. That's it. This is not hard to figure out. It's true and it's known. This isn't a big secret. And so consequently, if you have any interest in society, you cannot treat those two so-called families the same way because one you want to encourage and one you want to discourage. Pretty straightforward, right? Another break coming right up here, Producer Rebel. Thank you very much indeed. Hit us with another tune. I'll be right back.
digging the weeds Who could ask for more? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me? Very nice. Um, who uh, who uh, producer Rebel? Who's um, who? Who did that uh, instrumental version of "When I'm 64"? Interesting. I wonder who it was. Very nice. Oh, I didn't know that. The oh, I didn't realize that. This it, that actually was aha. Uh-huh. Oh my! That was the Beatles. I did. I thought that it was uh, somebody else um, took the song and uh, and made it um, made it an instrumental. All right. Okay. Uh, give me, if you all would, give me just a moment because I just I just wanted I do want to catch up and just run through and see quickly what is on uh, on the chat room if you don't mind. So uh, don't. Assume that um, that I've vanished or anything. I'm just catching up with with things. A lot of interesting stuff on the Beatles. Hold on. Um, the private channel. Okay. Hmm. Very interesting. Okay. Um. Oh, look at that! How nice. Um, producer Rebel says that uh, to some extent she can fulfill requests and she tries obviously can't always because that we're not we're not that sort of show we don't have that um, library of resources <clears throat> Yaakov says he's he's mystified as to why mothers choose to be single mothers um, well Okay, all very interesting. Um, hmm. uh, Joe says, very good, Joe. No one uses the term divorced either. We say single parent, like the spouse disappeared or widowed. Uh, that's true. Single parent, like what happened? Okay, hold on. Hang on a sec. Um, okay, for, so just a quick touch on this uh, on this topic. Why? Why would a single girl choose to to have a baby? Well, um, a couple of reasons. Many of them come together. First of all, I do know, and 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 very often it's celebrity 
uh, you know, basically. Oh, by the way, there used to be a name that is very unused today, and that's a bastard, right? In in Shakespearean English, and even far more recently, I'd say well into the nineteenth century, and maybe even through the through the nineteenth century, up until the nineteen hundreds, uh, a child born without a father. Uh, you know, who's, who doesn't have a father in the house? Now, obviously, there was a sperm donor, but uh, not a father. Uh, that person was considered to be a bastard. That was the term. And it was a disparaging term, of course, no question about it. And you think to yourself, oh, that's not fair. The kid didn't ask for it. That's true. And the, the little Indian kid born in a brickyard in the slums of Calcutta didn't ask for that either. That is true. And the reason that the good Lord set up the system just the way he did is because there's no better way to incentivize people than to promise them that if they do the right thing, their kids will have a better life. Why is that not working at the moment? Why are there celebrity bastard babies? Well, because uh, there is something called baby hunger. Now, most men do not experience it. It's not something that we feel for the most part. Some men do, but overwhelmingly men don't feel it. Most women, women, not every single woman, but the majority of women at a certain point in their lives, at some specific point in their lives, think to themselves that they really, their body yearns for it. They want it. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And I'm not a woman, so I can't describe the feeling exactly, but uh, I've had hundreds of women talk to me about it and, and describe it. And so I totally believe it exists. I don't doubt that for a moment. And uh, I know it's very intense. Uh, the longing can become uh, painful. The longing can become uh, dominating in, in terms of uh, the emotional makeup of a woman. And so there is this incredible urge to have a baby, and it's much more powerful than the urge to get married. So uh, if she can afford it, very often women will, will go to uh, a sperm bank. And uh, just a couple of days ago, I encountered a particular woman who, who chose that route, and she uh, did something kind of interesting. She bought up all the sperm vials from the particular donor whom she selected. Why? Because she didn't want to have uh, her child to have unknown siblings or half-siblings floating around. And she also didn't want the extremely improbable but dreadful circumstance. And you know this is – if it hasn't happened already, it is going to happen soon. And that is the circumstance of a a child – conceived by a donor, falling in love with someone who turns out to be a half-sibling. 
and you know genetic tests will 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 strongly hint at that and uh, people will discover things so uh, obviously it's a it's a massive problem children born to sperm donors massive problem and by the way many of those children now and you can look this up. I've, I've read quite a lot of interesting stuff on the web. Uh, basically, articles, books, essays written by adults who were conceived by sperm donors who hate their moms. They believe that their mother did something horrible to them. And uh, there, there are a lot of reasons for that. But one of them is that you see, uh, until a certain date, and I'm thinking it was, I think it was in the 70s, it might have been later than that. Um, the there were laws that protected the secrecy of the donor in other words you could donate anonymously in a sense that and you could be sure that nobody nobody could find out who you were and um, the reason they did that is because men wanted to be absolutely confident that down the road and again, it's mostly single men who donate, usually <laughs> often impecunious single men. That means poor single men. In fact, most single men are poor, other than a tiny handful of teenage technology titans. But otherwise, uh, most, uh, most single men are poor. And it's usually single poor men who, who do sell sperm. And um, they wanted to be sure that down the road – when things improved for them and they were married and they had a family, the last thing they wanted was the doorbell to ring one evening and then to open the door and say somebody standing there and a teenager standing there and saying, uh, hi, dad. If you, if you've got a, you really don't want that happening. So in order to make sure that the supply of sperm donors would remain strongly guaranteed, um, anonymity. But then these kids started growing up and they said, where's our rights? We have a right to know who our father was. And they turned it on medical issues. And that's actually what swayed the courts. And uh, what they said is we have a right to know what, uh, you know, what pre predispositions we may have to certain genetic conditions. And the courts finally agreed. And so there are many, many cases now where people um, gave sold sperm on the understanding of uh, anonymity. The records would be sealed. And now they're being opened and these people are being tracked down. One case I'm aware of, the sperm donor who's now married with a family uh, had to, he did, he issued, he got a court injunction to stop the child born of his sperm donation 20 years earlier from approaching him. This person approached and said, hi, I'm, I'm your child. I've, I've got hold of the records. He was very angry. He said, I'm going to hang up the phone. I don't want you to ever contact me again. Well, she did. And again and again, she and she said, I started feeling like I was a stalker. Well, lady, you were. He didn't want to speak to you. And she insisted that she had the right. And that sort of brings us a full circle in a way uh, to the whole question of uh, rights and obligations. And it brings us to, uh, to Greece and it brings us to the Supreme Court of the United States. So let me take you there and uh, tell you exactly 
what is going on, why what we're witnessing now uh, is something that uh, a, uh, a, a, a diligent scribe of American history would certainly put down as one of the major tragic milestones in the decline of the American empire. And uh, what it is, is this idea of morality being decided by financial status. Rich people bad, poor people good. Now, those of you who who may have been listening to me for a while, those of you who may have uh, read my books on finance and money or heard some of my CDs on this program, well, you would know that uh, I don't even acknowledge or recognize the usage of the word rich or poor with human beings. And the reason is very simple, and that is that it's all relative. And uh, <clears throat> no, matter, no matter how you feel, you, know, you, you think to yourself, there's things I don't have, I've got lots of things on my bucket list, I really want to buy a Mercedes, and I really want to buy uh, a, a nice fancy mechanical watch in my case, whatever it is. If your chances were such that your objective income remained the same, but you were magically transported to a very poor either in the United States, although it would be hard to find anywhere like that. Um, and, uh, and now you, you find that a lot of your anxiety, a lot of your emotional stress goes away because you're so much better off than everyone around you. With human beings, it's relative. With animals, it isn't. Uh, an animal that has plenty to graze, plenty food, and a roof over its head in the winter time, that's a rich animal, if you like. We can use that terminology. I don't mind. Okay? A, a cat who is an indoor cat fed on cream and tin tuna, a rich cat. <laughs> but what do you call a rich person? It's all relative, number one. Number two, what happens to somebody? What do you call somebody who deliberately makes the choice not to work so hard? person makes a choice to only work two days a week because the rest of the week he wants to go hiking or swimming or stamp collecting or watching girls or whatever he wants to do. That's a choice he made. So is it fair to call him poor? At the end of the day, he's rich because he did exactly what he wanted to do. It might have been a bad decision, but why should that affect what we call him? So I don't even recognize the terms rich and poor for human beings. Right? They're, they're, um, they're, there can be two people making exactly the same amount of money, and uh, one lives up high on the hog and uh, <clears throat> spends on consumer items and luxury living. The other one lives very frugally and saves and invests. And um, how, how do you classify them today? How do you classify them tomorrow? The terms rich and poor simply don't apply to human beings. Not only is our culture now applying them, but it is also attaching a moral label to each. I think you'll agree, would you not, 
that both entertainment and politics have been indoctrinating America over the last few years to believe that poverty equals virtue. The poor, the poor, the poor, as if we are never complicit in our own misfortunes. I mean, let me ask you a very simple question. I hope, I hope the answer is that you do not have these kinds of problems at all. But if you had any problems having to do with male-female relationships, and if you have any problems having to do with money, who would you point at as being the one most responsible for your problems? You notice I'm not saying health. God forbid someone has health problems. These things happen. But um, if you are having problems in the male-female arena, and that can mean uh, marital problems, can mean you're not married, you want to be married, it could be you are married, you're trying to get divorced. If you've got problems in that arena, whose fault are they? Be honest. Who would you point at as the biggest culprit for your misfortune? How about Buddy? Are you where you'd like to have be? Are you where you thought you'd be 20 years or 30 years ago at this stage in your life? Are you where you thought you'd be? I hope you are. I hope you're better. But if you're not, whose fault? Who's culpable? You see, it's very important to understand that we are very often, if not always, culpable and complicit in our own misfortunes in certain areas. And yet, the culture has started beaming out the propaganda that the rich, the rich, the rich, you know, even uh, Obama said, uh, uh, there comes a time where you've made enough money. The implication in his school momish lecturing, hectoring tone, the implication is, you know, I'll tell you when you've made enough. Should be enough for you already. Right? The implication is you're not a good person. If you're trying to make money, you're not a good person. Remembering my teachings, please don't forget my teachings. And if you haven't read my book, for God's sake, Yes, for God's sake and for our countries, go to my website, rabbidaniellappin.com, or you need a rabbi.com. And for God's sake and for country's sake, just get yourself a copy. Get it. Get both books. I'm serious. Because if you think that the process of making money is greedy and that you have to um, perform a spiritual atonement by giving it away and that making money is only good if you give money away, then you need to learn my teachings. And there you will understand how it is and why it is that the process of making money is in itself moral and dignified and worthy. Because you're supplying people with something. And that's a good thing. And if you don't believe me, think what would happen in a city like Manhattan, where nobody has cars. What would happen if everybody in Manhattan, or not every, let's say all the grocery workers, all truck drivers, and all transportation workers decided that Obama is right, they've made enough money. 
what happens to the rest of us? You realize we starve, don't you? You realize we can't go anywhere. The grocery stores are empty. In fact, they're not even staffed. There's just nobody around because they, they listened to the president. He said, you made enough money. So they went home. The only reason that you can live in a city and make sure that you get not only food but great food every day is because a whole lot of people out there are standing by to serve you in exchange for money. What a fantastic deal. But most people don't get that. And, uh, and so what happens is that we move in the direction of starting to say that if you are poor, you are virtuous. If you are rich, and you know, again, I say I despise and reject that nomenclature. Rich and poor are terms that don't belong when you're speaking about people. But just for the sake of the, of the discussion, if you're going to believe that people who have a lot of money are bad, people who have no money are by definition good, then we've changed the debate entirely. Because now, if I am receiving welfare, it's not a favor to me. It's an entitlement because a set of external circumstances decreed that you are rich and I am poor. Therefore, you owe it to me to make it up. It wasn't my fault. I just am the way I am. It's, it's a complete uh, fluke. It is just a matter of uh, random fate. And so obviously we've got to fix it up. You see how different this approach is? How utterly contradictory it is from the reality. But that's, that's what we're saying now. That's what we're telling people. This is exactly what we're saying. You see, poor people, by, virt by uh, definition, virtuous, people with a lot of money, bad. Therefore, if somebody goes broke, not his fault. There's nothing he did wrong. No mistake he made. It's the unfairness of society, and it's all those rich people taking more than their fair share. Please don't laugh because this is now believed by a substantial portion of your fellow citizens. This is now deeply believed. It really is. It's horrible, but this is what's happening. And so now there is no shame at all in bankruptcy. Now there is no shame in not paying your bills and paying your debts. Why should there be? It's not your fault. You didn't make any bad decisions. No, of course not. No, of course not. No, this is just fortuitous. It's just the way things worked out in an unfair, rigged society. A society focused on capitalism and greed instead of people who really care, like government. Yeah, look, you see the problem, and it's a massive problem. Well, it used to be that when countries defaulted, it was an embarrassment. It was a bad thing, but it isn't anymore because this culture has spread not only to individuals, but also to nations. So is Greece mortified about their condition? No, of course not. It's everybody else's fault. 
And so, uh, and so now what's happening is that uh, uh, Greece is on the edge of default. And if they are thrown a life raft by uh, the International Monetary Fund and the uh, Europeans again, then all that's happening is it's being postponed, right? If, uh, if you lend money to somebody and he assures you and explains to you, and by the way, a lot of very good people, I mean, I have Christian friends who get caught up like this uh, more than once. Somebody comes and tells you he wants to borrow money. He's got this great idea. He's going to do this. He'll be able to pay you back in no time at all. And then what's more, he'll have a business. Everything will be great. It comes to you to borrow more uh, six months later. And he explains that he really had needed a little more than he thought. He didn't realize. But now this is his almost everything will be good. And you lend it to him. And then he comes back a few months later for it again. Um, you're becoming foolish because you're never going to see it. You're never going to see any of it. He's fallen into the habit of borrowing because for many people, it's easier to borrow than it is to work. Again, you know, a lot of people think I had a good idea for a business. I should have a business, so the business is going to work. But, you know, nobody says I know how to – I just because I feel like dancing ballet, I know how to do it. Or just because I, I feel like cooking up a, a crepe Suzette, I know how to do it. Business is like that as well. You have to learn about business. It's not something you can just, ah, you know what, I'm tired of my job. I think I'm going to start my own business. I think it's a great sentiment and you should, but uh, you have to. And by the way, this isn't just a plug for my books and my material. Um, but it's a plug in general. Great to start a business, but you've got to know what you're doing. All right. Uh, Producer Rebel, give me a, a quick break again. Play me some music and uh, give me a chance to, to catch my breath and wet my whistle so that I, your rabbi, can return in just a moment. Play the jack of diamonds 
I was listening to that and uh, and trying to like it, but uh, can't say can't say I, it it didn't didn't really work for me. But uh, but it's new, it's different, and uh, like like anything new and different, you got to get used to it. So uh, I'll try and do just that. Um, the um, the the poor, yes, the poor. Uh, look, there's um, there, there's something very interesting, and again, uh, I, I'll tell you where I know this information from it is from the book of deuteronomy but that's really neither here nor there because uh, whether or not you find scripture to be superficial or you find scripture to be uh, powerful and revealing and authoritative um, the 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 observation however stands on its own recognizance which is that um, there are two um, apparently conflicting verses just a few uh, verses away from each other in chapter 15 of, Gen- of uh, Deuteronomy. And uh, one of them says that um, you must always extend um, a hand to the poor 
uh, because the poor will always be around. And the other one says that uh, if you follow the societal organizing principles of the Torah, there won't be any poor people. So which is it? Reach out your hand to the poor because they'll always be around. Or, no, if we, we do things correctly, there won't be. Well, I gave you the answer really a little bit earlier when I explained that it was all relative. And that is that uh, nobody but nobody should in his own mind classify himself as poor. Because as soon as you do that, you're psyching yourself up for failure. Aren't you? Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying? Once you say to yourself, I'm part of the poor of America, then you're psyching yourself for failure. You're basically making sure that your condition becomes permanent. But one of the incredible things about human beings is that what is true about me today is not necessarily something that was true about me 10 years ago and uh, may well not be true about me tomorrow or the next day. We are, are capable of incredible change, for bad as well as good, by the way, right? Um, until a week ago, Dylan Roof was just a slightly lost 21-year-old uh, South Carolina kid, okay? And, uh, and in the space of, of just a few hours, changed his life, changed himself into someone completely different. Was he always like that? Well, being away potentially and being a certain way in actuality are two very different things, right? A very, very, very large number of us married men are adulterers in, in spirit. In other words, we, we look and our eyes fall upon an attractive woman and we may not even, I mean, we may be more sophisticated than to actually think to ourselves, well, uh, you know, if the circumstances are, you know, we may not even go there. But even just the idea that we are aware of female pulchritude, but that's not the same as acting on those feelings. Check with your wives, they'll tell you. They can live with you noticing attractive women. But acting on that, that's a different thing altogether. And so um, having a heart for something is quite different than doing it. And this is also true, by the way, for good, needless to say. Uh, when you think to yourself, well, you know, I really feel sorry for that person. He, he could use a hand up. He's had some temporary setbacks. Uh, he really could. I feel for him. And then you don't do anything about it. It means nothing. But if you then go over to him and say, listen, um, some events in my life have made $1,000 um, available. I don't need it at the present time. Um, let me lend it to you. And I, don't, I certainly don't need it back in the next year. But uh, you pay it back whenever you can. Meanwhile, I'm sure you can find a better use for it. I don't need it right now. That's a fantastic action done in a beautiful way. But just thinking the good thought, well, I know that doesn't accomplish anything at all. That doesn't do it. Not even close. Not even close. So uh, the, 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 the nature of us human beings is that we can really change very quickly and very dramatically. 
and uh, and I, I can't tell you how many people I know who were in very bad shape financially, made some significant, important changes in their lives, and are now doing very well. And the transition was in the matter of days. There are people who do this. And what's so horrible about the, the way that uh, society has now started classifying rich equals evil, poor equals virtuous and good. What's so horrible about that, of course, is that uh, it makes sure that people stay poor because you are now, you, you validate your situation by saying, well, you know why I'm poor? Because I'm such a good person. I'm not greedy. I don't step on widows and orphans in my relentless climb. Upwards, no siree, I subsist in poverty because I'm such a good person. And again, I'm sorry to tell you, I know a lot of good people who think that way. They do. They also need my book, I'll tell you that. It may sound like I'm just plugging my book nonstop tonight, but uh, it, it's, it, it really can help you. If, if you have any of these problems, it can help you. If you know anyone with these problems, this book changes lives. That's what's so exciting for me. People come up to me in airports and tell me how their life was changed by my book. People send me mail. People send me emails telling me that. Because these are powerful ideas that can help you in the sense that we're not cows or cats or camels or kangaroos. Because cows and camels and cats and kangaroos are what they will be. They are what they were 10 days ago. They are what they'll be in 10 days' time if they're alive. There's no change. But a human being can go from the deepest depths to the most elevated heights. And there are a lot of people like that. There are a lot of people now. There are people working, by the way, um, in crime prevention who are ex-convicts. There are people who were criminals, got caught, did a complete uh, turnaround, usually with the help of Christianity, turnaround, became religious, served their time, came out, and built up careers and business. And so somebody goes from a, a convict to a successful citizen, People can do that. And the worst thing of all is the way that we have institutionalized poverty in America. Worse than that, we've created an entire industry, not tens of thousands, but literally hundreds of thousands of Americans make a living in the poverty industry, caring for the poor, distributing money to the poor, providing services to the poor. It's, this is all really bad stuff. This is really bad. This used to be handled within, locally within the faith community, nearby families. People used to say, you know, be a, I, I've seen this happen, by the way. I've seen this happen in small communities where somebody calls a meeting and says, look, you all, you all know the Smith family. Uh, for the following reasons, and I, I, I want to retain confidentiality. I don't want to tell you too much, but I know – quite a bit about what's going on there, um, they really are in financial trouble. And people start helping. 
people up. The first thing is make sure that they've got a roof over their head, make sure that, that there's food for the family. And then people kick into gear and they start dealing with uh, uh, trying to help. You know, if it was the case of a loss of a job, then people try and help on that front. It's all done locally. And we didn't have a permanent poverty culture. But now we do. There's also a vested government interest in keeping these people dependent in exactly the same way as Ann Coulter, by the way, is, makes this very clear in her new book, uh, Adios America. Um, she makes it very clear that um, uh, the, the gates of immigration were flung open, particularly to people who would not succeed in America, precisely because they wanted to have more and more people who would intuitively vote Democratic as the party that gives other people's money away. That's why they did it. The uh, 1965 Immigration Reform Act had that as its goal. That's what's, that was what was going on. So I, I want you to understand that when we start associating poverty with virtue – and wealth with evil. We're on the road to the end. It's hopeless. It's a distortion of values. It's an obliteration of truth. It's a pulverizing of principles. And so what happens is that a false belief system takes precedence over truth and justice. Is there any logical reason why this person who has been successful and is well thought of in the community and makes a lot of money by serving his fellow human beings, any reason for him to be considered evil, greedy, bad? Of course not. But people have bought into that because it fits the political narrative. And this is why I speak about Greece and the European Union. The Greeks, they're entitled to the money from those hardworking Germans. The Germans have a culture that says that if you work on a Mercedes-Benz assembly line and your shift starts at 8 o'clock, do you know when you show up? Not at 8 o'clock. You show up at quarter to 8 to make certain that your machine is lubricated and ready to go at 8 o'clock. Folks in Germany, short lunch break, short vacations. They're hard-working people. Folks in Greece, <laughs> do I have to tell you? Right? I know, I mean, I'm not talking, you know, lots of, lots of lovely Greek people, uh, but the country, the culture of Greece. And by the way, if, it, if they weren't borrowing money from the Germans, God bless them. If they're happy living with less in order to be able to take long siestas and to not work hard, hey, everybody should be free to make their choices. But once they start buying Mercedes Benzes on borrowed money, and taking long vacations on borrowed money, now it does become everyone's business, namely those who were coerced by an entirely false story of, an, of a European Union into lending them the money in the first place. 
and they believe it is their right. And so one fundamental timeless truth is that you are entitled to what you produce with the sweat of your brow. And if you're married, then it's you and your spouse work together to provide the emotional and uh, psychic stability that enables you to be productive. And that's why in, you know, in, in my case, um, I, when I proposed to Mrs. Lappin, to, she was then Susan, I said to Susan, I really need you to stop working. And I explained why. I need you to be my wife. And, um, and from that day to this, we never speak about my money or your money. It's, it's ours. Because whatever, whatever we've accomplished has been the result of a partnership. I never, I never would have achieved anything without her and uh, her without me. I wouldn't say she never would have achieved anything because in general, single women do much better than single men. By the way, do you know that single black women do much better in America than single, than single white men? That's right, which proves that poverty isn't about color in America. It's about values. It's about marriage. That's what it really is. There's no question about it. And so uh, what you've got then is a, um, a replacing of timeless truths with a new vision which says that some people have money and others don't, not because of anything they did or didn't do, but just by capricious fate. And therefore, it behooves a, a, a society of nations and a society of individuals to make up, to make good for everybody see that's what they that's what they say and so you have a place like uh, new york where i'm broadcasting from tonight oh you have a place like new york where you 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 can see and it's a well-known fact that a very large proportion of people work for government city county state a large number of people work for government health and they are all paid because of very, very heavy taxation on a tiny minority. How long can that persist for? Obviously, it's not a stable situation, right? Got to be doomed eventually because it's based on falsehood. It's not true. And this is why the, the Greeks are up against the wall. It, it, it can't go on because what they're saying is we don't want to work any harder. We don't want to live frugally, and we want to continue having our siestas while we also have the good life. Clear. <laughs> Eventually, you run out of people whose money you can take. In this case, the Germans are starting to ask themselves, why? What do we need this for? Why are we paying for the Greeks to enjoy a good life? So it, it cannot last. And uh, if you've been listening to me uh, for a while, you will know that um, 20 years ago, when we were all younger, it can't last. It's, it's, non, it's non-doable because Europe...
child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking for I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, "I'm gonna be like you, Dad. You know I'm gonna be like you." And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. Son turned ten just the other day. He said, "Thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw?" I said, "Not today. I got a lot to do." He said, "That's okay." And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed. Said, "I'm gonna be like him. Yeah, you know I'm gonna be like him." And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man on the moon. Coming home, Dad. I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. Well, he came from college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say, son. I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, "What I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please?" And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad. You know we'll have a good time then. Since retired, my son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids are the flu. But it's your nice talking to you, Dad. It's been your nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me. He'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. Dad, we're gonna have a good time there. Okay, there we go. All righty. Um, so the, uh, the 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 problems of the European Union. I'm 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 trying to illustrate that this sort of flows from an abandonment of fundamental principles. Right. The principle is that uh, if you work, you eat. The sweat of your brow, you'll eat bread. Um, but now. 
because there's been this entire shift in the culture, if you don't eat bread, it's because of other people. Remember when I asked you earlier in the show this evening, I said, if you were to, and I hope you don't, but if you were to have financial problems, whose fault would it be? Who would you point a finger at? And almost any sensible, responsible person says, look, I'm sorry, I wish I, I wish I, I didn't have financial problems, but I do. And the reason is because of bad decisions I made. And so it's fairly safe. When I, when I sometimes speak or write and I say that today's financial problems of yesterday's bad decisions, most of us say, yeah, I mean, we know that, obviously. There's nothing, that's not, that's not shocking news. We all get that. But that's changing, you see. And you've got to be aware of it. It's, it's inculcating uh, through the culture and filtering everywhere. So, and it's really interesting, by the way. Uh, it's really interesting to, to just talk to um, people on the street or people you might meet on a, uh, on a, on a, while you're traveling and you speak to people and you're shocked to discover the extent to which they've bought into this. Rich people have exploited others. They are rich because they're greedy. Um, <clears throat> the poor deserve, the poor have the right. A lot of rights talk, by the way. Everyone has a right to decent housing. Ask people if they think that's true. And then you say to them, look, um, the reality is that for a right to be meaningful, you've got to know who has the obligation to supply it. Because a right without a parallel obligation is meaningless. I've often told that uh, when I was sailing my family across the Pacific on a 44-foot sailboat that I used to own, um, I uh, just through sheer exhaustion – I mismeasured water in the tank one night, and uh, there we were, literally 1,100 miles from California and about the same distance from Hawaii, and I, I decided we had no water left, and I'm frantically trying to can vegetables and can fruit, you know, and I, I'm thinking this, and then I start laughing. I remember laughing. I'm thinking to myself wait a minute, um, I am guaranteed by America's founding documents and by virtue of being an American citizen, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I said, well, you know what? I'm, I'm okay with the happiness. I'm okay with the liberty. But you know what? I would like life now. And so I, I need water. Now, it turned out that we had water, but I didn't know it at the time. I had, a, I, had a, I had a scary few hours, and so uh, I, th I was thinking at the time, okay, well, I have a right, right? I have a right to life. So tell me the phone number of the person who has the obligation to protect me. And you know that today, even most uh, big city police forces will tell you that don't count on us to protect you. We'll find the person who killed you, but don't count on us to prevent him from doing so. I had a policeman in Los Angeles tell me that years ago. He was very honest. He said, look, we all know this. You should know it too. We're not going to get to you in time. And you know, with, with all the stuff they're dealing with, and by the way, domestic, so-called domestic 
disturbances. Never between husbands and wives, I have to tell you. Never between husbands and wives. It's always people cohabiting. Always boyfriends. Always when it comes to domestic disturbances. So while somebody's being murdered and, and dials 911, the cops are busy taking care of uh, some cohabiting couple where um, uh, the guy is not the father of the woman's children. And there's and that's a recipe of disaster, recipe for disaster. But it's, it's everywhere in the country. It's all over the place. And so when you replace a timeless truth with a falsehood and then – You build laws and uh, cultural norms around those falsehoods, you have a doomed situation. So obviously the European Union is doomed because it's built around the falsehood that there is no link between how I behave and what happens to my financial wherewithal. No link at all. In America, same thing. We're developing a culture that now says, uh, you know, Barack Obama helps it. He says, you didn't you didn't do this. He said to wealthy people, you didn't do this. You didn't do this. Right. You didn't build it. It just happened. And he really believes that. And all the people who listen to him really believe that. And therefore, their condition has nothing to do with them. They're not complicit in their own misfortune at all. Therefore, it's everyone else's obligation to make it up. And that's why. Years ago, we switched the term to entitlement. You're not on the dole anymore. You have your entitlements. And uh, I've got to tell you, I still bristle when the person behind me in the supermarket line um, pulls out their EBT government payment card. And I see that uh, that the, the, the basket is not filled with staples and the necessities of life, but it's filled with luxury items. Stuff that I don't afford to pay. It bothers me. Really does. And so whenever you start creating laws and cultural norms based on falsehood, you've got a doomed situation. And my friends, the Supreme Court of the United States has shown itself to be right there. Please understand, this is not a case of liberal conservative. It really isn't. Because um, I, I can understand that there are laws that are passed and upheld by the Supreme Court of the United States. I get it. There are laws that are upheld because of the way things are written and because of the way th- I understand sometimes it goes liberal, sometimes it goes conservative. I get all that. But um, what we saw happen today and with the initial ruling a few years ago where Judge uh, Justice Roberts um, was, was, so, was, so, was so unbelievably damaging on all of that. Um, uh, by the way, we've got um, – Producer Rebel, we got uh, cross talk coming from somebody in the 318 area code, and we need to uh, we need to cut them off. Or uh, yeah, I think so because they're not they're not being quiet. Uh, if you want to call in and you're on hold, folks, I mean that's that's fine. You can you, you're welcome to do that. But um, but there was a lot of uh, 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 just 
a lot in company. I think, I think Bruce was the caller. Bruce, I'm sorry. You were obviously unaware that uh, noise was coming down the line. I, I'm sorry that I had no, I had no option but uh, to take you off the line. So um, the Supreme Court comes along and uh, it now makes this ruling, which is not based on the way the law was written. It was based on a political desire. This is not the way the legal system is meant to work. The judiciary always in America needed to be the third arm of government held together in a system of checks and balances. But that's gone now. That's gone. And essentially, the Supreme Court, at least six members of it, had themselves with the White House. And I'm quite sure. I'm quite sure, particularly the women on the Supreme Court, I'm quite sure they said in their hearts this Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, must survive. It must survive. It's important. That's not what justices are supposed to be doing. In this case, it is without question what they did do. And so when you start substituting false ideas uh, for authentic truth, uh, you end up with a, uh, a doom system, my friends. And so whether it is the European Union or whether it is the uh, complete abolition of trust in institutions in America, uh, we're looking at disturbing times. We really are. Really, really disturbing times. Um, dog, I'm so sorry. Um, uh, was you on, on hold. And forgive me, I, I was going to uh, come to your call I was going to, but um, uh, but I just wanted to finish what I was doing. But meanwhile, it was just disturbing. The, the, there was a lot of noise coming coming down the line from your phone. Again, just just the way we're set up here, unfortunately, it's just the way it works, and uh, it's sort of unavoidable. Um, just a reminder: do make sure that I I have your email address. Uh, make sure you are on my mailing list. You can do that at my website at youneedarabbi.com. And the reason I say that is because I um, I do want to be able to announce the podcasts are up, functioning, and everything is smooth. And I want to be able to do that in a way that uh, you can all get that information, which I, I truly know. And I'm, you've heard me, unfortunately, you've heard me express my ardent hope that this will happen very soon. Um, you've heard me express this quite often, uh, but this time, <laughs> this time is for real. And yes, um, of course, don't don't believe me. Um, don't put money on it. But um, but we are we are definitely heading there very very soon. There've been been some major changes, and I want to be able to um, make sure. There's so many of you have asked me about podcasting. Well, um, with apologies for how long it's taken. But yes, it actually is going to happen. It's going to happen very soon indeed. So uh, I'm pleased for that. That is very, very good news. Um, so where, you know, where do we go? Well, I, I started off the show talking about the decline in trust. That's where we are. Massive decline in trust. And, uh, and no society can continue functioning in an absence of trust. Impossible. Oh, by the way, Producer Rebel uh, reminds you that the shows are up 
on uh, iHeartRadio. But uh, we are also not only the shows, we're also going to put on a lot of other stuff as well uh, in the form of podcasts. And uh, that is going to also be available to everybody. Just in case you do want to listen to me more than once a week, should that be the case, we are going to have the answer soon and effectively, guaranteed. It is going to happen this time. Um, So... um, I see Producer Rebel tells folks that I am in New York today, and that is exactly right. I arrived in uh, Manhattan just about 15 minutes before showtime today, cutting it a little bit fine. But, you know, that's that's New York traffic for you. It's, it is out of control. It really is out of control. And uh, I'm just looking. Hold on a sec. I just want to see some of these other interesting uh, chat room comments. Um, yeah, Paula, Paula speaks about personal experiences of people telling her that she owes them. Look, this is what I've been trying to get across, that there has been a complete eradication of the underlying belief system, which is Judeo-Christian, biblically based. And that has been uh, so eroded in the culture that what has gone away is the accompanying basic principle that you are entitled to what you produce. You're not entitled to the work of anyone else. They don't think of that anymore. It's not the way they see it. Not at all. The way they see it now is that because I have less, I'm entitled to what you have. That's exactly how the Greeks see it. And unfortunately, today we saw that that's how the Supreme Court of the United States sees it. So because some people do not have medical care and nobody paid any attention whatsoever to the question of uh, of um, do they uh, do they want it? Do they try and get it? Um, do they uh, have they decided are th- these are people who spend plenty of money on other things but not on health insurance no none of that matters at all none of that has, no of course not no, it doesn't matter in the slightest <coughs> pardon me <coughs> pardon me yeah uh, I should have had a drink and I, I didn't have one here <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, So um, it bodes very badly, bodes very badly because uh, we've got the the erosion of the underlying principles. And when they go away, people say, oh, well, they're all, you know, it's biblical, it's it's irrelevant. No, the, the trouble is that when they go away, they carry away with them many things we do need like trust in society, trust. And number two, the idea that I am not entitled to the work of any other human being. It's funny. We got that right on slavery, didn't we? Right? 150 years ago, we got that right on slavery. That no person is entitled to live on the sweat of another man's brow. But right now, a majority of Americans. That's right. Listen to me and weep. And I tell you that it's a majority of Americans, majority, 
that do absolutely believe that if you have less than somebody else, you're entitled. You're entitled. Folks, it's, it's pretty bad. Uh, is there hope? Of course there is. The hope is a restoration of the underlying principles. And I do believe that uh, without a spiritual revival, without a religious Judeo-Christian revival in America, I don't see any hope. I think we are hurting economically, we're hurting culturally, and we're hurting militarily. And there are other people eager to step in. And we can see we can see Iran getting very active. We can see um, we can see China getting very active indeed, very active. And uh, we can see ISIS getting very active. And we're literally are seeing the map of the world changing without a shot being fired. Iran basically now runs Lebanon and Syria. ISIS, <laughs> they're just adding territory on an ongoing basis. Uh, I hear that they're even thinking of issuing their own currency soon. Why shouldn't they? They're in, in everything but name. They're already a sovereign state. And China is adding land by building islands with runways and military and, and uh, we only we cannot project military force any longer and uh, and culturally we're 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 uh, anesthetizing ourselves with garbage entertainment and that's what we're doing not working hard like the Germans not enjoying life like the Greeks we really do need a big turnaround and it's going to come from people like the folks who are listening to this show right now. And I'm not just saying that to flatter you. I'm saying that because I absolutely do believe that it's a small minority of Americans today who don't believe the garbage. It's a small minority of Americans who've retained the ability to think critically. And um, it's those upon whom the deliverance will depend. It's as simple as that. It is upon those that the deliverance will depend. Well, uh, with with great reluctance, I I look at the clock, and uh, though I did start a little bit late, uh, I'm sorry to say, I cannot um, make up for that on the back end, which is a good lesson, right? When you're late for something, you lost it. You can't always make things up, and uh, and that's true now as well. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for being with me. Um, if you're listening Sunday, have a great Sunday. If you're listening on Thursday evening, get ready for a wonderful weekend after one more productive Friday. And uh, we'll be together again, God willing, next Thursday night. Make it a healthy and productive and profitable week. God bless you all. I want to hold your hand. I want to hold your hand. Hi, I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin, reminding you that everyone, regardless of your faith, needs a rabbi. And for those of you with no faith at all, well, just maybe I'm your insurance policy. Let's talk right here every Thursday evening, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time on W4CY Radio. Don't miss it. I